time to welcome in Adam Rosenswag, managing partner Gehring and Rosenswag. In terms of uh, the energy trade, the big question over the past several months has been, is there room to run? Does the energy trade still have legs? Your, uh, your stance is the commodity bull market has only just begun, so I'm assuming that applies to energy. Why is that? No, if you look at this energy market today, the question that we could ask more than anything is, is, like you said, is it over? And all you have to do is look at the capital spending in the energy space. All you have to do is look at the weighting of energy stocks in the S&P 500, and they're both at multi-decade lows. So even after this rally, and certainly after this pullback, uh, you actually see very, very, very little in the way of new spending in the ground. And the problem with the energy markets, the reason we're in this situation, we simply have not drilled enough over the last decade, and supply is really disappointing. And until we fix that problem, this bull market is very, very much still intact. So you would look at the pullback that we've seen recently as a good entry point, a good buying opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that what we're seeing today across the market and certainly in the energy stocks we're seeing an unwind of trades that have worked over the last six months and really energy's worked now over 24 months uh, but certainly over the last six months anything that's worked is selling off and anything that has underperformed i think people are looking to potentially cover and the strangest thing about the sell-off over the last few days when you would talk to the traders and talk to people who are actually trading the stocks there's not a lot of selling in the market so a lot of the selling has been happening in the dark pools and the algorithmic trades and i think it's all very programmatic and quantitative and algorithmic i don't know if you heard our previous guest ben lichtenstein on but he was talking about some key levels that he's watching for oil i believe it was 123 130 to the upside 99 to the downside if you think that this bull market and energy is just beginning how high do you think oil prices are going? You know, we like to look at the price of oil and the price of commodities relative to the economy and relative to the stock market. And for you to take it to a level that begins to get looking expensive, you know, you're talking about 150 to 200 dollar crude oil. Now, I'm not entirely sure that you can get all the way to 150 without starting to see some real economic uh, impacts, particularly given the rate situation we have today. But I think certainly the 130 to $140 uh, level on the upside, $140 on crude, given the supply dynamics alone and the strong demand we're seeing, is very, very possible. And look, in a pullback, I think if people start to liquidate uh, their positions, we all know now that the paper oil market, the, the paper traders is a, quite a large component of this market. They can drive oil prices low. They drove it negative a few years ago, so they can certainly take it down another 10 or $20 from here. But the fundamentals are just so strong that I think it's very difficult to ignore. And the stocks now represent such deep value that any investor uh, should be looking at them very, very, uh, very, very seriously today. All right. Speaking of supply dynamics, let's talk about natural gas, because there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, a possibility of a shortage in natural gas, especially given what's going on in, in, with Russia and Ukraine. What are the implications? First of all, how likely is it? And what are the implications if that actually does, uh, does happen from an investor's perspective? So from an investor's perspective, I think you need to make a huge distinction between U.S. natural gas and international natural gas, because international natural gas right now is extremely expensive. It's 30 to $50 an MCF. Here in the U.S., it's seven. And so there's a massive disconnect. And the reason is we can't get our American gas out into the rest of the world. We need more LNG export capacity. Now, what happened two weeks ago 
was that there was a fire at the Freeport LNG facility down in the Gulf Coast, and that's taken out almost two BCF a day of LNG export capacity from the U.S. That's big enough to actually make a difference here. So whereas a few weeks ago, we were very much of the opinion that we would have a very tight U.S. gas market through the summer because all that gas would be going internationally, there is now a bottleneck. It means we'll have a little bit more of a buildup of inventories, which today are at 30-year low levels. You know, they're very, very low relative to seasonal averages. Uh, but they're going to start to build back up a little bit because we don't have as much export capacity. So I think the gas market for people in the United States has gotten a little bit of a reprieve. It's temporary. It doesn't change the longer-term fundamentals. But we will uh, start to build inventories a little more than we would have expected a few weeks ago. So I still think that the gas stocks are wonderful, wonderful investments. Um, I think potentially that panic move higher in gas has maybe been pushed out a few months uh, because of the fire at Freeport. Uh, luckily, no one was hurt there, but uh, it is taking them longer than expected to bring that facility back online. So I know you're bullish in terms of the commodity market, but what about in terms of clean energy? Where should investors look when, when wanting to invest in clean energy? I have a feeling you're not going to say renewables, seeing as I, I have a note from you that says renewables are not the answer for clean energy investing. You know, they're not, and, and we've done a lot of work on renewables, and frankly, we're, our mandate, we can invest in renewables if we want to. So it's not that we're, you know, pinned into this oil and gas trade. We can be anywhere in the energy market we want. We've done a lot of work, and unfortunately, the energy efficiency of renewable energy is very, very, very poor. Um, and so as a result of that, countries that go down a huge path of renewables run into a lot of problems, and we're seeing that certainly across Europe. We're seeing that in Germany. So our view for you know the future of carbon-free baseload power is really nuclear. And if I had said that on the show uh, a year ago, you probably never would have invited me back. But now that sentiment <laughs> is beginning to spread, and people are starting to realize that nuclear uh, has answers a lot of the problems that we have in our energy mix, including it's very efficient and it emits no CO2. So I've been very, very uh, optimistic at how well people have responded to that. We're seeing a lot of um, articles written, a lot of people on, on news programs talking about it, and I think the pendulum is swinging in nuclear. So that's our preferred view going forward for the energy transition. Adam, it was really, ESG was really the name of the game until basically we, we experienced Russia invade Ukraine. It was all about, you know, investing in a, a cleaner, more fuel efficient economy. And that has changed so much over the past few months. Are you worried that this renewed focus on oil is setting us back in terms of that style of investing? Well, look, you know, I think that there's been really fundamental problems with ESG investing and ESG uh, mandates that have been written, um, you know, basically coming down from on high without a lot of work supporting it. And for a long time, the idea was, look, do you want to reduce carbon emissions and have better investment returns? Everyone said, well, that sounds great. The problem is that starved the oil and gas industry for capital in such a material way. Starting two years ago, the oil markets were telling you that there wasn't enough supply. Inventories fell, prices rose. Energy's had leadership now in the market, broad market, for two years. However, there's been no investment because people's hands are tied. So now we have an energy crisis. Uh, and that's really been, you know, because capital, the normal market mechanism of capital coming back in to chase higher prices hasn't been allowed to happen. So I think that the ESG movement has been incredibly misguided from the beginning. You know, I very much uh, am, am concerned with the amount of carbon being put in the atmosphere, but we need to have really sensible discussions about how to move forward. And wind and solar were never going to be the answer. And why? They're really not dense forms of energy. And 
The biggest problem still with solar today is that the sun doesn't shine at night, and I don't see any solution to that problem uh, in the near term. Unless maybe you're in Iceland in the summer. I think it shines then at night. But Adam, just also going back to the commodity bull market, you say it's just beginning. But what are you looking for to get a sense that maybe it is nearing the top? What should investors, what signals should they be looking for? Well, I'll give you two great signals that, that investors should be looking for from a fundamental perspective. And then I'll give you one uh, that I think is just a really interesting historical observation. So. What I like to look at is the price of commodities relative to the price of stocks. It's a simple uh, it's a simple ratio. We post it on our website all the time and in our materials. And right now, you're the 90th percentile of cheapness going back 120 years. So commodities are cheap relative to stocks today. The second would be energy and materials weightings in the index. And if you look today, oil and gas energy or energy broadly is less than 5% of the S&P. The average is 11%. And cycle highs, the last time in 2011, we got to 15%. In 1980, we got to 30%. So 5% is not the right number. It's too low. And then the interesting observation, and I think this will really mark the end of the bull market. It might surprise you. It might shock everybody here. But historically, when commodities really run and the stock market does poorly and commodities become really overvalued and at the end of the cycle, the Dow Jones and the gold price cross. It happened in 1980. It happened again in 1932. Uh, you know, 1980 with the Dow at 850 and gold at 850. 1932, uh, you know, when gold was raised to 35 and the, and the stock market hit 40. Today, is it going to happen at gold 15,000, Dow 15,000, gold 30,000, Dow 30,000? Who knows? But that'll be the end of the bull market. It'll be a decade from now. It'll be an explosive speculative mania, but that'll mark the end of it. Well, I certainly hope it's not Dow 15,000. We have to leave it there. Adam Rosenswag, managing partner, Garing Rosenswag, thank you so much for all of your insights.